This is the Talk Editions Podcast, episode 37, with Sino No. Sino No is a brief submergence, a string of choices, a container for the communion of rigor and failure. This NYC-based trio featuring Isabel Crespo Pardo on voice, Lester St. Louis on cello, and Henry Fraser on bass, performs graphic scores and poem songs composed by Crespo. Sinono will release their debut album in early 2024. And they will be sharing a bill with Tuck this Saturday, October 7th, the night that we perform Interbeing 2, which is the latest installment of our ongoing collaboration with the amazing Eric Wubbles. If you're listening to this on or before October 7th, you can learn more about the concert and reserve your ticket at talkensemble.com. Here is Sino No in conversation with Marina. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. We're really excited to have you playing alongside us on October 7th for the Interbeing show at the Demena Center. Maybe we can just do some little introductions for our listeners. I'm Marina Kifferstein. I'm the violinist of talk. I'm Issa. I'm um, the front person of Sinono. I'm Henry Fraser. I'm the bassist of Sinono. I'm Lester, and I'm the cellist of Sinono. Cool. Well, I guess my first question for for y'all is how did you become a band like I know you're all friends like did you was it one of those things where you just were like let's play a gig or like yeah how how did you how did you get formed well <laughs> so I had been playing duo with Henry and with Lester separately um and really felt that between the three of us, there was a lot of ground that we could cover and a lot of things that we could explore. Um, and I got invited to play a show at the Owl in Brooklyn and just decided to try it. And so I wrote a bunch of graphic scores um, and we tried them and the rehearsal was like a very okay rehearsal. I remember after <laughs> rehearsal feeling like, oh no, maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> but then it was like the most beautiful show that we've ever played maybe. It's, it was so, it was so magical. And a lot of our friends came and were just crying with us <laughs> in the front row. And, um, wow. and then I was like, wow, yeah, this, this is a band. That's really cool. Sometimes it happens that way, right? Like you play with someone in a rehearsal setting, just like cold and yeah. And it, yeah. it's like, oh, this, I thought this was going to be the vibe and it's not. And then something magical happens like at the gig. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The rehearsal's never the gig. The rehearsal's never the gig. Yeah, totally. Especially in this band. I think one of the things that's special about it is people talk a lot about a mixture of composed material and improvised material, but I think Issa is very brilliant at leaving a lot of space open that sometimes when you are rehearsing doesn't feel charged with that thing, but then 
I think the way we work together, the way our audience engages with us, um, that space ends up becoming activated in a certain kind of way, in a way that it would never be without the composed material that Issa brings in. But I feel like that was something that happened on that gig and has mm -hmm. happened subsequently on pretty much every gig in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what do you, can you maybe talk a little more about like what you mean by like the, that kind of like audience feedback or engagement? Like what does that look like and feel like for y'all when you're on stage? I feel like as, as improvisers, all of us have a sensibility um, and an openness to perceiving in many directions. So like perceiving ourselves, perceiving the band, perceiving the room, perceiving the audience. And I think that, um, I mean, I don't want to speak for y'all, but I've, I feel that we can feel if the audience is with us or not. And we can feel if they're drifting. And I feel that we adapt to that. And also, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're sort of constantly taking risks, I think, when we're performing this music. And, and that sense of like, excitement and of pushing um, feels so vital to this music. And we're never bored. So I yeah. think even just like, you know, the perception of the audience and, you know, feeling if they're with us or not. And also knowing if we're together or if we're engaged, if we're like really reaching for something. I think that's something that's so special about this trio to me. It just never feels stagnant. And because there's no like correct way to play these songs, we just really are always like, are just reaching for them. Yeah. You guys, you were formed, is was it in 2021? <gasps> yes, yeah. 2021. So there's also like a kind of, I mean, yeah, I remember performing in 2021 in front of audiences, like after a year or however long of not playing in front of audiences mm. felt like so intense in a different way. There was like a little bit of danger. Like we were all like putting ourselves at risk to like be there in a certain mm. way, you know, like everybody was making the choice to like come out and be in the world again and like have social and musical experiences uh after this prolonged period of of isolation and of like all those online things that were like <laughs> really weird and like necessary in the moment but like felt totally different you know yeah um and i wonder like yeah I mean, thinking thinking about like performing that first show in 2021, like was that kind of part of the energy there, do you think? I didn't feel that. I don't think so. Yeah. At least from the stage feeling. Uh, maybe we were just like, just into doing performances in a closed room long enough to where it felt comfortable to be on stage with people okay. in the room again. And I don't, I can't say that I perceived anything from the audience of like a fear, you know? I think there was yeah. just like a real um, desire to be there on everybody. That's what I, yeah. That like took 
that didn't bring that into the atmosphere. Yeah, I guess the so there the for me what I was kind of thinking is like there was this not fear but like like the the act of like going out and being part of this like going to a concert or performing a concert it's like there was so much like awareness of how much we all appreciated being there because we like hadn't had it I don't know um yeah and I also felt it in uh the social component or something I mean I had just come back from my own COVID hiatus and I feel like that gig immediately established to me how Issa brings community into their artistic practice and just the feeling of even a small number of people at that gig why they were there and these are some people who have been in the front row of most of our gigs <laughs> and you I have think like a hardcore fan base we have some yeah <laughs> I mean and, and really beautiful friends who have become friends of mine um through this process of being in this in this trio and I think what I felt in that was their moving through fluid forms of listening and engagement with us uh, as we played the set. And it also makes me think about, I wonder, Issa, how much modes of listening plays into how you develop your material. I don't know, just something I've thought about in this. But I think I think that feeling of the air being charged seems to stem from this kind of community around Issa that they just people they hang with a lot and, and are heavily involved in, it seems, their artistic practice and, and, and things they're thinking about and stuff like that. And I feel like it's like sets the tone for the room or something mm -hmm. a little bit. And it's something that I've kind of carried with me from performance to performance. And that's kind of reassured over time. But I, I just remember that really strongly at that, mm -hmm. at that gig. Yeah, I mean, I think something that the lockdown period really clarified for me, um, was a lot of the whys of, of performing, of kind of engaging artistically at all. And I think one of the biggest reasons for me is, is that sharing. Um, and any, any like artistic thing that I did during the pandemic had to do with sharing. It was like I, within the first week of, of the lockdown happening, I was like organizing this concert series and then a few months later, I was like really engaged in collage work, but I was only making collages for specific friends and mailing it to them. You know, it just was all about like this, these different connections and um, and really building these different relationships. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I had just moved to New York before this gig and like really was kind of in search of community and of, of really kind of deepening that link between like, okay, I know, I know why I like to engage in artistic practice and what these values are and like trying to link that to the actual like performances or pieces or like how I build everything around it. Um, and yeah, that was, that was really in the air and continues to be in the air. And I think it's it's really reciprocal. I mean, there's like so many friends that are in the front row of our shows, like we're in the front row of theirs too. And, and like 
reacting audibly and just like there to receive it and just really want like we want to hear the best from our friends also and I just feel like that moving around and around just really kind of like makes the music explode sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. and it's there even when we've played out of town like it's just, that's it's, true you know, yeah. I just think there's something interesting yeah I think there's there that's I don't know those we talk about those relationships of mailing different scores back and forth or creating relationships through making work and having that line between that and friendship just denying that to some extent and those different relationships that were formed, I feel like those specific people, but also just that ethos is, is a big part of this mm. in a way that is you has been unique for me. And I think, and I think it's, yeah, I feel, I felt it when we, like I said, when we played for audiences made of, of people we don't know, you know, outside of New York. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe that also is like, I mean, part of the way all of the pieces are, are pretty different. Like I said, there's some that, our graphic scores, there are some that are more traditionally notated, there are some that are erasure poems, there are some that are a combination of things, um, there have been some that are textile work, some mm. that are orally transmitted, and um, all of them have like a specific, a specific air to them, like a specific... Mm, like a specific world that they're trying to evoke that comes from these kind of experiences or whatever. It's abstracted, of course. Um, so that, that there is specificity there and there's like specific maybe motifs or melodies or harmonic ideas or ways of interacting. But there's also like, it really needs improvisation to go. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that that thing you're talking about, like a feeling, the connection or the community, even for shows of people that are new to us, um, I think maybe part of that is there because of the way that the pieces are constructed. Like, I I couldn't lead it by myself. Like I really, it's like really written for all three of us to to make it come alive, and so it's. Yeah, it's this like joint little creation moment that's happening. Do you do you see the scores as like um, unique to the group? Like, I know that they take on this this unique character, like as when interpreted by this group. But like, do you see these scores that you've generated for Sinono as like? Like, could another group look at them and make something and would it be that piece? Or like, like, how do you think about that? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, <laughs> uh, some of them, yes. I think yeah. it would be a different thing. I, everything that we play, I write specifically for these three people. Mm -hmm. um, knowing what our different tendencies are, knowing like the things that we're interested in exploring. Um, and I think I would need to probably adapt things for other mm -hmm. people to play them if that were, if that were the like case. Like you'd want to work with them and kind of... Yeah, especially because, yeah. I mean, the composition is... Sure, it's like the thing that I wrote down or 
drew in ink or something. But it's also like the composition is Lester and Henry and me. Yeah. And like the the amount of things that I need to communicate is based on me knowing them. So there's some things that I don't need to write down or there's some things that I don't write down because I need to, I want to tell them. And I think the mode of communication is really important. So if it was with new people, I think it would have to be different. There are also things that um, were not written down that were improvised that have become part of the compositions as we play them now. Mm -hmm. And that could change. If we had a moment before our most recent gig where this thing that we had been playing for a while, we put it in a different part of the set and then we realized that this one little thing should maybe actually develop this way. Um, just a kind of general outlining of a trajectory that might be more effective. And then all of a sudden that piece just totally bloomed into this other thing. Mm-hmm. And also we're now playing the set a lot of this, I think about like set construction and these mm-hmm. these landing points that have different different amounts of different degrees of malleability to them, and how they function as a series of events and how they function as landing points that we know we have. But we're also now playing the set off. We're not reading anymore, so that's also salient, I think, mm-hmm. to all of this. So you don't have any score in front of you when you're playing now. Not the most recent gig, yeah. Recent. No, yeah, and is it? Like, I know you have a collection of pieces or, yeah, songs. Like, is that something that you're actively growing or do you feel like you're, like, living in this for a little while? You're recording a a record with it, right? Or you already did? Yeah, so we recorded in March. Well, first we toured. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was really fun because everything changed um, during the tour. And I think right now, because, well, because I think this, this set order change that we did the last time really like, now I'm curious to kind of explore this for a bit, but there are a couple of things that I've been meaning to bring in. <laughs> I'm still writing for us. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, I was, I was wondering actually, Issa, if you could talk a little bit about the way that you think about text and like where the text that you use comes from and yeah I like I I love listening to you sing and vocalize because like your use of text feels so organic somehow um but also like very poetic and I don't know I was wondering if you could could just talk about that a little bit Thanks. Um, Yeah, I feel like I've explored a lot of different starting points in terms of composition. And one of my favorite starting points is starting with the text. Um, I write all of the text. And it's kind of beautiful to, to take a poem and kind of live with it for a little bit and feel like where its emphasis um, points are and what its inherent structure is. And a lot of times the structure is like kind of built out of the poem. Um, Yeah, I'm also a real like structure nerd, I think. 
I think all of us here are. <laughs> so I think when we improvise, like on tour, there was there was a few songs that like the form would change sometimes mm. while we were playing it. All of a sudden, I would just decide that this is the ending. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, but a lot of it had to do with like how how are we showing up that day in terms of like just person and I think there's enough malleability in the songs not only improvisationally but also like just tone wise like sometimes the songs will be like very angsty or like sometimes they're just a little bit more subdued um and I think that that the way that the poem is like mm, the way the poem comes out, like based on the tone of the day, can end up affecting the structure of the piece, for me, at least, I think it's very linked. And then also like the, the points at which like, I'm extending or kind of like destroying the text. Um, all of that has to do with what I feel the emphasis is in that moment. Mm. Cool. Yeah. You mentioned, I mean, a few times you were like talking about the tour and like how, how everything changed and, uh, in what ways did the material change? Like you talked a little bit about like formally and like the order of things. Was that a change that was like, like things would become permanent or was it really quite fluid? Like did things like settle into a place or did you like find the spaces of where things will continue to change or like yeah like I don't know if you could maybe elaborate on that a little bit more mm. do you want to speak to that I'm trying to think <laughs> with specificity here so much I feel like both yeah for sure yeah I think some of the some of the changes became part of the piece like for example there's one that Henry and I begin as a duo that that was a tour change and that just is part of the piece now mm. but there's other things that have continued to change and I think it's it feels good to keep it that way mm -hmm. and for the recording like did did you do like multiple takes of each tune or like did you do kind of like full sets or like what was your process for that yeah, I think we ran the set like two or three times, basically, because I yeah, think it's yeah, it's kind of inextricable, I think. And a lot of a lot of the way changes happen, there's yeah, like again, there's these different moments in the set where that, like I said before, malleability can the the extent of that malleability is a very different thing. Um, but yeah, when we recorded it, we ended up just running the set twice because that sort of feels like the piece you know so then did you end up splicing at all or did you just pick the one you like better um yeah yeah we just yeah well, i think we ran it twice actually and we we just kind of chose our favorite version of each one yeah cool yeah that's the best way to do it yeah 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 like otherwise it gets so 
nitpicky. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I Especially remember dealing it, with yeah. transitions, you know, because mm, yeah. doing a splice of oh, I like the I like the way that we did this last take, and then we have this other one from the second take. Uh, but then the transitions don't really speak to each other in this way and, like, totally throw off the musicality of it. Yeah. Um, it was so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, are you, is the album structured as, like, tracks that are continuous if you play it continually? But, like, is it tracks or is it just, like, one long? Here we go. Um, or do you not know yet? So there, there are eight tracks that you can, like, click on mm-hmm. <laughs> but then there's um maybe four big chunks that mm-hmm. are continuous okay. um yeah i think we only have like one or two kind of standalone pieces but a lot of them are just going continuously well so y- y'all have been on tour together you do gigs together what's what's your food vibe like what what do you snack on like mm-hmm. do you cook together do you like the same foods? Mm. I think we're all really good eaters <laughs> and we're all good at cooking and really enjoy cooking. Most of our, I would say most of our rehearsals involve food. Mm-hmm. We've also had just like days where we just make a meal together. Um, on tour, I mean, I would say we're like a little bit of a, foodie kind of bunch (laughs) (laughs) i mean we're certainly like not gonna i don't know yeah we're certainly being like careful in the places that we choose to eat (laughs) do you like do you do you go on google like how do you find do you ask locals like how do you find your food choices research absolutely i'm doing research when i travel yes yeah i do that too yeah. yeah, my calendar is just like an ocean of like little hearts. Uh-huh. Or, sorry, not my Your calendar, maps. my map. Your maps. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, like every city you've ever been on tour, yes. you like find the place with the best like ceviche or whatever you're looking for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we're about to play a fun game. So if you don't, if you have any other serious things to say, then now is the time. <laughs> Any last words? I'm trying to think. Yeah, Anything it's so serious. much pressure. <laughs> yeah. Lester, say something really smart. You're really a very <laughs> stupid. Sino <laughs> <laughs> knows for the kids. Yeah. Oh, actually, I was wondering, where does the name Sino come from? Like, how did you land on that? Oh, um, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I, initially we, we played a couple of shows just under my name and then it just started feeling like, Oh, this is a band. Like it should, it should have its own name, its own like identity. Um, I mean, Sino no is a made up word. (laughs) Um, I just think it's kind of delightful the way that there's like this, like, agreeing disagreeing thing it's like when somebody is like yeah no 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 like like yeah no no yeah totally yeah you know what i mean like there's just <laughs> but sort i also of like, like a... that you have oh, no. the accent so it's like it also sounds kind of like it's like synonymous or like there are like a lot of kind of uh yeah 
what what do you call that like indexes or in, indices right yeah but it's not see no no it's see no 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 you heard it here folks <laughs> see no no the accent <laughs> makes it very clear yeah <laughs> Um, you think <laughs> no, it's, it's not very clear yeah cool um okay so this game is called would you rather if you're a listener of the talk editions podcast then and you stick around to the end of the episodes then you might have heard some very serious people answer some really not serious questions so i'm about to ask you you guys some of these and if you have any would you rathers then you can also feel free to jump in um we did a bunch yesterday <laughs> wait really <laughs> okay i'm gonna ask you to start do you have any like favorites from yesterday oh oh fuck. never mind <laughs> we got, <laughs> yeah we got more bogged down in fuck mary kill yeah <laughs> wait do we have any good ones for that that you're willing yeah, to hear on the, on the radio mayonnaise mustard oh yeah, definitely. Um, fuck ketchup, Mary mustard, kill mayo. Yeah. This oh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> okay, no. This is a majority mayo. This is a very political. No matter who started it. Really. <laughs> this is, well, I'm also on team Mary mustard. Yeah. But I would say, fuck mayonnaise, mm. kill ketchup. Mm. I mean, I like them all, but. <laughs> I you gotta a, make choices. Yeah, I I'm like a little bit of a, a mayonnaise like chauvinist or something. No opposite of that. I my dad my dad hates mayonnaise with like a burning passion, like a fiery like to the point where he like likes people less when he finds out that they like mayonnaise. Oh my yeah, God. so it's like I've I've tried to like unlearn this. Yeah, they, my parents also, they have things about New Jersey, too, that, you know, like, grow, I grew up in New York City. There's, like, oh, Jersey drivers, whatever. Um, so they're I right. have... Yeah, they're not wrong. <laughs> but, I, you know, I've had to unlearn certain things. New Jersey's cool, guys. Um, and mayonnaise is, like, pretty good, actually. But if I had to homemade choose... Homemade mayonnaise? Come on. Oh, well, homemade, okay. Well, I mean... You're talking aioli? You're talking, yes, like... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay, well that's that's another story. Then I, I might have to reevaluate. But homemade ketchup would probably be really yes, good too. Is so never had This is a hard one, yeah. Okay. Um would you rather only drink water and no other beverage for the rest of your life or only drink other beverages but never drink water again? I would drink water. Yeah, water. Are we t can we take health out of the equation? Yep. I'm going with other beverages. Oh, <laughs> health isn't in the equation. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's other beverages. Yeah. But I could live off of San Pellegrino for the rest of my life. Pretty Does that happy. count as water? That's water, I think. Carbonated water. Like crunchy water. Crunchy water. Spicy water. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going with other beverages. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I could go with that coffee for the rest of my life. Yeah. Would you rather... Um, live underground in like a like some kind of a bunker or on like a space station they're like the same population it's like socially about the same space, space station. station yeah 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 no doubt because then you could see the sun yeah. well 
maybe I guess it depends on the I guess I didn't I wasn't specific about like the nature of the space station I guess at some point you're gonna see the sun you're gonna see something but I don't know if the the sun like I don't know how that actually if there's like no atmosphere then like what is that like I don't know actually all right I'm a big Star Trek fan so yeah I, I would live on I would I could get into that the space station okay yeah I'm imagining it being pretty hooked up okay yeah decrepit space station you know i it's like i want to say space station but i have to say there's like something about being um like removed from resources where like if you're underground it's like you have you probably have access to like clean water from a spring or something you have like you know Mm. you can have a little like you can grow potatoes or something. I don't know. What do you do? I guess I'm imagining the space station is like a spa and a hotel. Totally. Come My on. space station has a machine where you just say any meal and it comes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I think you're thinking like futuristic space future. station and I'm thinking like dystopian. Uh, like we like we've ruined the earth and capitalism has like put all the poor people on space stations. Totally. Wow. Yeah. Wait, capitalism has put the poor people in space? That doesn't make sense. That's like, poor people would just be dead. Capitalism. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, well, where's you know what? Else? This is a pro-capitalist podcast. We, oh, for sure. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. yeah. The, the longer it goes on, the better it's gotten. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, thank you so much for joining me uh, on the podcast. And we're all really looking forward to seeing you play uh, on October 7th. Yay! Yeah. This has been the Talk Editions Podcast, episode 37, with Isabel Crespo Pardo, Lester St. Louis, and Henry Fraser of Sino No. The music on this episode is excerpted from a live recording courtesy of Sino No. Check the show notes for this episode to find a link to Sino No's website, as well as links to learn more about Interbeing, Talk's ongoing collaboration with Eric Wubbles which were performing on October 7th in New York City and October 20th in San Francisco and many other times in the future. This episode was produced and edited by Marina Kifferstein and Charlotte Mundy. Thanks for listening.
Imaginarme en el aire, me desvelo en mi 